0: Welcome to Any Given You. This show is about all things college football. And on it, you'll hear insights, analysis, discussion, predictions, and stories of any given topic from any given time, past, present, or future. We believe that the stats are great, but the stories are greater. And you should listen if you have a passion for the game and what makes it great. We're going to talk about touchdowns and touched lives. Come with us on a journey that extends beyond the field of play. We will talk wins losses, and coachable moments learned on the football field and taken to the classroom, workforce, home, and even the battlefield. Division one to division none. Five-star recruits to walk-ons, it doesn't matter. If it's college football, it's worth the story. I'm your host, Michael Meegan, U.S. Army Ranger and a former college football player, and more importantly, a lifelong fan of all things college football whether you are a casual fan a fanatic a coach a player or just a person who loves great stories then huddle up and commit at any given you hello everyone and welcome to another exciting episode of the any given you podcast as always i'm your host michael megan and we have another fantastic episode here for you today just a quick reminder before we get started if you are enjoying the content if you're liking what you hear You've given us a couple of listens on a couple of different episodes, which we have noticed an uptick in our listenership, our ratings and reviews on both Apple Pods and Spotify. And we are so greatly appreciative of you for that, my you crew out there, my underground grassroots independent college football army out there spreading the good word, spreading the gospel of any given you. Uh, I certainly do appreciate what it is that you guys are doing because we are noticing the metrics are on an upswing. But if you are listening and you have not gotten over to either Spotify or Apple pods or wherever it is that you get your podcasts and given us a rating and review, or at least told a few of your friends about the podcast as we're continuing here through the off season, preseason and on to the 2023 season with the show, please do so like subscribe, follow, do the thing, tell your friends about it. We greatly appreciate it. Uh, I am currently sitting here in College Station, Texas at 927 Central. The Dallas Cowboys have lost right on cue here in the playoff. The entire state surrounding area seems to have gotten a lot quieter, so now I can record. So uh, they're joining my Buccaneers on the couch and watching from afar as the NFL playoff race continues, but I'm not here to talk about that. That's just a quick aside for us. I am very it's a bittersweet time of year for me, right? Because we don't have active college football on the field right now. There are plenty of things that are taking place beyond behind the scenes and the movers and shakers that are shaping the 2023 landscape, the 2023 season right now, as we speak, that's going down. And as a true college football enthusiast and uh, the sick, passionate nerddom that i have for this game it's an exciting time of year from that point of view but it's also exciting for me personally as a podcaster because this affords me the opportunity to like i was saying and alluding to in the earlier episodes of this season that i get to play with some of the content i get to do some of the things that i've wanted to do And this is an episode geared towards something that I've been wanting to talk about, subject matter I've been wanting to talk about now for a while. I just haven't had a time or a space to really formulate it and fit it into the routine, into the programming, if you will, uh, until now. And I think that this would be a very appropriate time to talk about it because I'm going to warn you, we are definitely jam-packed as far as information goes and everything else. But tonight I'm also going to get on my soapbox a little bit. I'm going to talk about some things that fundamentally I feel like we need to talk about for our sport of college football uh, from a passionate standpoint, because I am a fundamentalist of the sport, and I think that you'll see where I'm going with this as the episode continues, but there was a question that I have written on my whiteboard as I was coming up with ideas for show content and everything else like that, and I, I wasn't sure where I was going to go with this episode But I actually started with a thought, and that thought is, what is the cost of winning? And not just in the simple terms of winning on the football field, you know, and winning in in shaping your programs and winning in the sport, and not in the simple terms of cost as in dollar signs, but the real cost of winning in college football, and in particular in the college football landscape of today. I think to better unpack what the cost of winning is, I think to better understand this, I suppose we should look at which programs are doing that at a high level and have done that at a high level in recent history. So when I say recent history, I should think that maybe we talk about the turn of the century. Let's talk about since the year 2000, which teams which programs have been overall most successful based on a, on a few metrics here we have since the year 2000 to evaluate the sports, let's call it most valuable programs. The, the teams that have spent, have made revenue, teams that have endowments, the most valuable programs, let's say based on market size and shareability tv viewership tv revenue estimated value let's let's think about social media following bowl earnings social media becoming a thing relatively recently and we have to factor that into the equation here bowl earnings like i said ticket sales apparel attendance all that good stuff that makes a program of what we would consider to be high value right they have paid the price to be in the position that they are in, right? So when we take a look at this kind of breakdown of the most valuable programs here in college football as trying to gauge it as a metric for success, what does it tell us, right? There is an article published on medium.com by Zach Miller on the 29th of August, 2021. And it is broken down with these metrics put against which teams have basically checked off the boxes and then the composite put together. So ranking the most valuable college football programs, we'll go ahead and start with number one, it's Ohio State at two, Michigan, three, Alabama, four, Notre Dame, five, LSU, six, Georgia, seven, Penn State, Texas is at eight, Auburn at nine, Oklahoma at 10. Your next 10 in order are Florida, Clemson, Texas A&M, Tennessee, Wisconsin, Nebraska, Florida State, Michigan State, Iowa, Southern Cal at 20. And if we want to go ahead and stretch it to 25 here, as we do with most college football rankings, at number 21 we have South Carolina, 22 Arkansas, 23 Mississippi, 24 the University of Miami, and at 25 we have Washington to round us out. So taking a look at the top 10 here. What sticks out to me is if you want to talk about since the formation of the college football playoff, we have seven of the top 10 teams have been represented in the college football playoff. Of course, we're talking about Ohio State, Michigan, Alabama, Notre Dame, LSU, Georgia, and Oklahoma, right? Only Auburn, Texas, and Penn State don't make that list. If you stretch it out to the top 25, there have actually been 11 teams in the top 25 who have represented in the college football playoff, as at least made it to the college football playoff. In the top 25, we also have 11 different programs that have a national title since the year 2000. Okay, so pretty impressive stuff there. Almost 50% of the field has a national title that is in this top 25 of most valuable programs. And then we have six different teams in this list as well that have multiple national titles. And, of course, when we have that list, it's a pretty elite group. But, again, it's Alabama, LSU, Georgia has now joined the chat. We have uh, Florida at number 11, Clemson at number 12, and then Southern Cal at number 20 on this list with back-to-back national championships as well although they did split one uh, with uh, LSU but I digress right that's pretty illustrious stuff as far as correlation to performance all right winning right winning more than you lose these programs they've had up and down years right some of the ones I've mentioned in here have had some pretty down years have had Uh, you know, runs of long sustained mediocrity like Tennessee sitting at 14, right? But a lot of these programs have also had overall better success and a better winning record when you compile it all together than they have losing record. They have won more games historically than they have lost. That kind of, it's very interesting when you talk in terms of dollars, the teams that are valued the highest also correlate to winning the most football. And then this thing came along here in 2021 called NIL, name, image, and likeness, where it would afford players the opportunity to make money off of their name, image, and likeness to be able to provide or render some sort of service and get paid and compensated for their time in that service as well. Whether that be autograph signing, whether that be speaking engagements, whether that be some kind of, you know, uh, car wash for, you know, team charity, quote unquote, but you're taking some of the, the profits from that, whether that be, you know, whatever it is, uh, sponsorships to be the front man for a local restaurant or a local dealership or some, something of that sort, right? Jimbo Fisher was famously quoted as saying there was NIL before there was NIL. Of course, this was in regards defensively as he was throwing some shade and smoke around the college football head coaching world as he was reeling in the top rated recruiting class of all time. Of course, that was Texas A&M's 2021 recruiting class that drew the ire of a lot of contemporaries for Mr. Fisher across this landscape and a lot of finger pointing and everything else as to how that happened all of a sudden at Texas A&M, considering that Texas A&M at the time had the one of the SEC's middle-of-the-pack collectives, at least on paper. And in the research for this episode, it's been very hard to nail down exactly how much money some of these collectives, quote-unquote... Are worth. We'll get into collectives here in a second, but bottom line up front, what Jimbo Jimbo Fisher was saying is that these college football programs, and I'm going to go out on a limb here and say that probably most of, if not every one of these programs that I have just listed on these top 25 most valuable college football programs have paid players for a long time by hook or crook, of course, in the shadows, very cloak and dagger stuff. Now, what name, image, and likeness was supposed to be is what I was just talking about. Services rendered by the player equaling compensation for that player's time. What it was not supposed to be was an inducement tool or a recruiting tool of any kind when the NCAA finally just threw its hands up and said, we're going to make this a thing pretty much no holds barred. We don't really have any rules for this other than you can't use it as an inducement or recruiting tool. It was more along the lines of if you commit to this university, then you may have opportunities to profit off of your name, image, and likeness in line with whatever partnerships we have with our collectives. And that brings me into the next part of this episode tonight, this discussion. And and what is a collective? What exactly is it? Because I feel like we throw that around a lot not too many people really understand what that is or what that you know what that is supposed to be right in fact prior to sitting down and reading you know some of the literature on this i was actually kind of ignorant to it myself you know we throw around these terms nil and collectives but i don't know if we really really understood them right so in an article by Business of College Sports, what is an NIL collective? And I'll paraphrase here, but I have to give them the nod for the article. But essentially, a collective is an organization that is founded to benefit, quote unquote, the student athlete, right? Quote unquote. It's usually at a specific institution. The models for these are different, depending on how they're structured. The basic idea is that An alum or a group of alumni will band together to form some sort of conglomerate company whose goal is to provide name, image, and likeness facilitation, right, opportunities to a student-athlete of that particular institution. And uh, how they find or provide these opportunities can differ for sure. Now, the follow up question to this is well, you know, is this a nonprofit kind of deal or, or something like that? And that, that's a little bit of a loaded question because not necessarily, right? Yes, there are some nonprofits that exist in the NIL space in collectives when you're talking in terms of collectives, but not nearly all of them, not even nearly the high percentage of them. In fact, if we were to break it down by the numbers that we have currently, uh, there's, as of this article, there was only about 14 or so that are listed as non-profit collectives, and uh, that is designated by receiving a status that is a 501 Charlie 3, which is a nonprofit, which means donations to those collectives are tax-deductible. And some collectives have actually gone so far as to apply for a 501 Charlie 7, which would make them tax-exempt through the IRS. Um, th- some of these have been granted approval through the IRS. Some have not. But in the grand scheme of things, there are currently over 100 NIL collectives, right? So when you base that, you know, which ones are nonprofits versus Ones that are not calling themselves nonprofits, which means, you know, in some way, shape, form, or fashion, these collectives are actually profiting off of what it is they're trafficking in. You know, if you break it down with simple math, it's basically It's less than fourteen percent are nonprofits, which is which is really mind blowing to me a little bit. Uh, but at the same time, it's not. Um, some institutions actually have multiple nils set up, as in. Uh, the University of Texas. University of Texas has multiple NIL set up for their university. So does Miami. Miami has a couple. They have Bring Back the U, which was founded by philanthropist, UFC fighter, actually, Jorge Masvidal. It acts as a liaison between players and sponsors to ensure transactions are handled efficiently in compliance with NCAA regulations, whatever that means nowadays. Companies enter into endorsement deals, compensating players for content, appearances, etc. Helps businesses identify the right player and campaign for the business needs. So that sounds like a liaising business consultant type deal that is not labeled as a nonprofit, by the way. You also have Kane's Connection. Kane's Connection will help Miami student-athletes navigate the financial and legal implications of NIL and provide them with direct access to business, community, accepting donations one time or monthly. Do you hear the language of these? It's very vague. It's not a very specific breakdown of what the collective entails. It's pretty vague. There's a lot of, I think, room for maneuvering there in between the lines of what these collectives are actually doing, right? Um, The University of Texas has three different collectives. They have the Clark Field Collective, Horns with a Heart, and Occupy Left Field. Occupy Left Field actually for baseball specifically, but the Clark Field Collective and Horns with a Heart uh, are are two of the others. Horns with a Heart, uh, it's a specifically geared collective to football, which sc- lays out in very plain English what it does. Each offensive lineman at the University of Texas will receive $50,000 annually to promote selected charities. These are speaking engagements and promotions that these players will do. And they have a link to their piece with Horns with a Heart and a hyperlink. I'm not really going to waste my time with that too much because we just don't have the time for that on this Podcast to speak directly to, to that. The Ohio State University also has a collective, of course, because it's one of the runners and gunners and big hitters in college football. It is called the Cohesion Foundation. The Cohesion Foundation is a nonprofit dedicated to supporting and strengthening the current student athlete community by fostering opportunities through education and charity. This is one of those uh, 501 Charlie 3 nonprofit uh, tax deductibles that we were talking about earlier, right? Penn State, Penn State has multiple NIL opportunities as well that look to have been folded into one as NILs have kind of bought out each other is what it appears to have been. There has been uh, collections of wealthy alumni or donors or what have you that have actually bought out other NILs and consolidated them uh, to the Success With Honor is the name of this NIL. Penn State student athletes, opportunities to engage in NIL activations, including autograph signing, social media promotions, camps, clinics, charity events, special appearances, product reviews, commercials, and so on and so forth. Interesting to see social media engagements, social media posting, sponsored posts, right? This is a huge factor in driving NIL nowadays too. It's really interesting to see what some of these players are actually receiving per sponsored post that they make on their social media with their following. Texas A&M's collective, The Fund. The Fund collective hasn't publicly been announced, but it was confirmed by AD Ross Bjork in an interview with business of college sports founder Christy Dosh that there is an LLC formed by boosters helping student-athletes with NIL – And more information will be provided on that in the future. So very interesting there as well. University of Alabama, the high tides traditions was established to harness the power of name image likeness with student athletes to make and propel positive business relationships across the city, state, region, and nation. So very interesting stuff. We have all of these different NIL collectives. Going about doing business in slightly different ways under the guise, under the assumption, under the shroud that they are not using this as recruiting or as inducement to bring players onto campus, rather a sort of nod, nod, wink, wink. If you were to recruit yourself, if you were to bring yourself onto this campus for our great program that is going to help you, guide you, develop you, give you a great education, quotation mark, nod, nod, wink, wink. These are some of the opportunities that you may be privy to with these different collectives. Remember what it was supposed to be versus what I think we are watching it morph into before our very eyes in real time right now. And what really prompted me To do this episode, and especially when we're talking in terms of teams that have been near the top in terms of value and success at least this century, what they're doing with these collectives, some of these schools having multiple collectives structured in several different ways to be able to navigate sticky situations in raising money for these recruits. I mean, let's call it what it is. It, let's call it what it is. The school itself is not supposed to be paying these players, right? This is not supposed to be a pay-for-play situation. And yet, what's really interesting is there is a development, right? There has been a development. And if you follow the sport of college football, unless you've been living under a rock or just not checking your cell phone, often you might have missed this Piece of information, this story with a kid out of Pittsburgh, California, a quarterback, five star recruit by the name of Jaden Rashada. This situation is very, very interesting because Jaden Rashada was initially committed to the University of Miami, but there were whispers and rumors that he was not going to make the kind of money at the University of Miami that he could potentially make at other programs. So what this kid does is he decommits from the University of Miami. He never signs a letter of intent with them. He just decommits. And then he commits to Billy Napier at the University of Florida because the University of Florida's collective essentially was giving the lip service of pledging money, right? There was a number that was apparently mutually agreed upon between the collective and Jaden Rashada. The University of Florida itself you know, to any public knowledge, would not have been privy to this, right? And potentially, Coach Napier may not have been privy to exactly what the financial conversation was, right? I'm not trying to speculate on anything that would bring down any NCAA infractions or anything like that. I have no proof of that. But what what we do know is this. This number, and I don't know how realistic this is, or if you know how much special spe- speculation there is, or or w- how badly this got inflated, but uh, allegedly I've heard a figure as high as thirteen million dollars was what the going price for Jaden Rashada was going to be to sign that fulfillment and fulfill that commitment to the University of Florida. There was some kind of discrepancy between what Jaden Rashada's expectations were and what the NIL was actually going to leverage, what the collective, rather, was actually going to leverage for this young man's services in Gainesville. And so Jaden Rashada, very recently, a couple days ago, asked to be released from his letter of intent from the University of Florida, and Florida capitulated and let him go. He has reopened his recruitment there are more schools back in the mix, including schools that regionally might make more sense for a West Coast kid. There's a there's a lot of things that come to my mind when I think about this situation and a lot of stuff that actually makes me upset on almost a cellular level when I think in terms of what kind of college football fan I am. And I think we can unpack those for a second. First off, let's talk about some facts and figures, right? So, Let's assume that $13 million was completely outrageous and a complete fabrication, right? But even if we were going to go there, even if we were to, let's say, let's say we average this between that, you know, we find a, a middle ground between what the highest paid college quarterback right now in terms of NIL value at this moment which is another kid who has taken zero snaps at the college level, and that would be Texas's Arch Manning. Okay, Texas, another, another team and another program that is very prolific in the NIL game. Another team and another program that I have been kind of telling folks the reason Texas is probably going to have a high level of success here in the near future, even if Sarkeesian isn't the man they are financially united and bought into buying themselves some players. We have also seen, you know, last year, Texas acquiring some top talent from some other programs. We just saw A.D. Mitchell, Georgia's clear number one receiver. He just committed to Texas through the transfer portal. But $3.7 million is what Arch Manning is worth. That's why this $13 million Number is so ludicrous to me how how much did we hear about arch manning being the top prospect all this other stuff like that and you're telling me that jaden rashada is 10 million dollars more valuable than arch manning coming into into the college football landscape neither one of these guys haven't taken a snap at the college level right so if i'm running the collective at florida you're damn right i'm not paying that that's insane so you you want, you want essentially would want me to pay you $13 million for beating some high school teams in California in a day and age where can contractually I cannot keep you there because that was not supposed to be the grounds on which you, you attended the University of Florida. Those were not supposed to be the grounds that you attended it on was $13 million. So you could get a bag and dip, as they like to say, right? So first off, I'm spec like like I said I'm speculative about thirteen million dollars. Let's even call let's call it six million was the real number, right? We 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 know we all have a way to uh, exaggerate, right? So that would make him the highest paid in NIL terms player in the college football landscape by a lot. Okay, first off, the money wasn't right at Miami and the money wasn't right at Florida. This kid is picking. His institution based on these monetary values. It is not about a program that you actually want to go to. It is not about a program that you actually care about or a place that is about the best development for you, perhaps, to to get you to the NFL or you know, whatever level of pro football you want to play at. It's not about the culture of the locker room anymore. It's not even forget. And education, education has become, the the model of the student athlete is just completely out the window with this, right? We are talking in terms of cold, hard monetary compensation at this point, right? That's what we're talking about with this Jaden Rashada situation. That's what is so upsetting to me about this. And what's more upsetting is, Jaden Rashada, is a, he is a product of the environment that has been allowed to exist when the NCAA threw up their hands with no plan, no strategy, no structure for a completely open NIL market coupled with a free transfer market as well. No questions asked. It created this perfect confluence of events where now these kinds of things exist in the sport of college football the real cost of winning the cost of winning the cost of NIL might likely be the cost of our sport because let me tell you something if you were to follow this to its logical conclusion right if we continue to pull this thread as the as the shirt unravels here and we keep following this to this likely endpoint Where do we go? Where does it go from here? Now that these precedents are being set, now that these decisions are becoming purely monetary, where this is just auction type stuff, where do we follow this? And I find it ironic that the NCAA were the ones to create this environment right now with their completely spineless, toothless leadership moving into the current space that we're in. It's amazing how they flipped from being completely draconian to where they would hand out sanctions for having too much cream cheese at the complimentary continental breakfast at recruiting events at your school. There were agents from the NCAA that would ensure that your recruits weren't getting too much of a good time visiting your campus. And now we're talking about $13 $13 million, $10 million, $4 million, $3 million, a million dollars, any amount of money. This is totally affecting the recruiting process. This is completely inducement. It's it's just plain and obvious. And everybody is just sort of playing this game, playing this really funny game. You know what it is? It's speed walking. It's Olympic speed walking. If you've ever turned on the tape and watched that ridiculous damn sport, they're running, okay? They're running. It's bullshit. They're all running. You don't walk a six-minute mile, okay? that You're running, all right? That's what this really is. Everybody's really running and they're calling it walking, all right? They're calling it something else, but what really is going on here? Absolutely, this is inducement. So when we follow this, these rich and powerful collectives are only going to get burned once or twice before they're absolutely howling for reform or a better model for this. It's a bad investment on the business end of things. It is a bad investment. You're investing in human capital, which is unreliable and unpredictable. It's not a scientifically locked in thing. There's no warranty on this right now. You are investing in emotional athletes that are young, they're emotional, they're impulsive. That's what you're investing possibly millions, six, six, seven figures in for a kid who could use your institution and your collective to make more money than he's ever seen in his life. And somebody looks at him sideways or something gets a little bit hard and then coupled with our free transfer market, He just dips to another program. That's only going to happen a few times before these very rich and powerful alumni begin to structure this thing in such a way that they are going to get return on investment. And this is what it looks like. First off, I think they just drop the smoke screen and they go ahead and say that money absolutely can be used as inducement to the university. They couple with it. As long as they structure it Uh, in such a way where a healthy percentage of whatever is made off of the student-athletes' engagements goes to charitable causes, right? Notice there are actually collectives, okay, out there that funnel about 90% of what happens at these different engagements back to charitable causes. Where does that other 10% go if it doesn't go to the athlete Where does that go, right? That's pretty interesting. Those ticket sales to come see these kids, 90% of it goes to charity, right? Where does the other 10% go, I wonder? Probably into running the collective, and that means into the pockets of these men that preside over it, right? The schools that can't financially keep up with that, I think, will be relegated out of the upper echelon of college football. We've already seen a big scramble to grab and acquire market teams that are of plus value by conferences like the SEC and the Big Ten. They've sat there and begun to gobble up these other teams. I think that'll continue. And that, coupled with this, is going to make the pool of teams more and more elite as we get along and a <clears throat> a, long, a a long bigger power distance is going to grow with the rest of the college football landscape that cannot keep up with that. And those who remain will be lopped into a couple of super conferences. I think eventually we're going to get down to two super conferences. What is this beginning to sound like? What do we call them? Do we just call them the College American Football Conference and the College National Football Conference, right? Is that what we're getting to? Because that's I think that's where we could head. If we're not careful, I think these things will happen. Then in order to maintain a stability to this landscape, then you bring in things like collective bargaining agreements that will likely lead to a, a structure of having to salary cap, so that we don't have disproportionate, once again, a Wild West scenario where we have disproportionate collectives garnering too much money, making it unfair and unstable in the new super conference. The new super conferences that exist, right? The big market teams. That these that these TV companies, these streaming companies, all right, really at the end of the day, they're gonna want a stable landscape to provide you the best entertainment they can charge you for with the best teams and most elite rosters that are going to draw the most eyes. So they don't want that getting out of whack again. So we're talking about a salary cap. Along with a salary cap, we're going to have to have some sort of league minimums across the rosters because we cannot continue to live in a structure where you have a quarterback on your team that is making – three, and four, and five, and $8 million, and you have guys blocking for him on this same college team that are getting coupons to Golden Corral. There will be holdouts. I think that that is something that we could see very soon here in the future of college football, this gross future that we're headed towards. I think you could see a situation in locker rooms where all of a sudden you begin to see players hold out. No, I'm not blocking for him, okay? He's an asshole. He makes $6 million. He hasn't taken us out to dinner once. He doesn't He doesn't take us to the clubs. He doesn't do any of that stuff. He's making $6 million. He's on Instagram all the time. I'm blocking my ass off. I have four broken fingers right now. I got a coupon to Junkie Cheese. You're going to see that. So league minimums, roster minimums, I think, are something that's going to be established across all rosters. You've already seen it with some programs, Texas Tech for example, already has a minimum 50 grand that each one of their players is paid on that roster through the collective. If that's going to happen and that's going to come into the equation, then I think contractual agreements between players and the collective with the interest of the school or just straight up contractual agreements with the school. Once this becomes This pay-for-play scenario, which is, I believe is what we are heading towards, again, if we're not careful, if we cannot figure out a good streamlined system here in college football, which scares me because, once again, the toothpaste has been squeezed out of the tube. I don't know how we put it back in. I don't think you put it back in. You're just going to have to figure out another container. I hope that it's not the container of the NFL model, but that's the one that works for this kind of scenario, right, unfortunately, for our sport. I think you see contractual agreements. Now the ability to transfer. Now the ability to do all that other stuff that the NCAA technically says that you can do. I think the I think the uh, the NCAA will just be cut out of this equation because who's going to manage this? Oh, a commissioner. A commissioner will manage this. Roger Goodell <clears throat> presides over the NFL, man. That's who's gonna. That's who's going to preside over this stuff. Is a commissioner. We need a commissioner to make sure that everything is running smoothly. We have our salary cap, we have our league minimums. Contracts are being honored between these players and their universities. A whole new college football constitution will be drafted off of that. And it will be ironclad. It'll be locked in to make an ironclad TV product. And in turn, we'll have far less autonomy for our players and our schools. What do we lose? What is the cost of winning? What we lose is any semblance of the student athlete that's completely out the door as a traditionalist, a fundamentalist of this sport, as a former walk-on who cut my teeth at the college level, busting my ass at practice, not being on a meal plan, staying in the uh, in the crappy dorm rooms, not up in the player tower, special meal plan, nothing, none of, none of that, no free bags, none of that stuff. I hate that. We, we lose that. Maybe we even lose the ability to have walk-on. Maybe, maybe that goes away. The loss of player freedoms, the ability to transfer. Or even worse, how about the possibility potentially of being traded? Why not? If we're at that level, if we're if we follow this to the logical conclusion of, of what it would take to make sure that we pay players and create a parody in this TV product super conference that I think we could be moving towards, why not trade agreements? Why not when you sign on, it's structured in the language of the contract somehow, we go back to you cannot go to another fill-in-the-blank team. Or maybe you can't go to a Nike school if you are signed on with an Adidas school or something like that, something insane that's going to bottleneck these players, pigeonhole them in potentially, or maybe just cut them. You know, maybe that too. Maybe wave them, cut them right there on the spot. Again, where does the education fit into this too? Where, where does the actual student athlete model fit in that it doesn't? Regional affiliations. Those will be gone. We are about to live in a world where USC and UCLA will be playing traditional Big Ten teams. They will be playing games in Rutgers. They will be playing games at State College. They will be playing games at Ohio State. Conversely, Purdue will be in L.A. So the regionality of the sport, the traditional rivalries of the sport, something that is a huge part of the culture of this sport, I think we're going to lose that. Let's talk about political nudging for a minute. Let's talk about it. Screw it. It's my show. I'll talk about what I want. What kind of commissioner do you have in? Right? Is, Is all of a sudden the song Jump Around at Wisconsin now no longer appropriate? because of some of the lyrics, right? I'll serve your ass like John McEnroe. If your girl steps up, I'm slapping the hoe. All of a sudden, that's offensive. You can't play jump around anymore because the commish said so, right? Do we lose that? Do we lose those school traditions? What about places like Texas A&M that have the strong Corps of Cadets, senior military culture built into that school? All of a sudden are some of those traditions too aggressive? What do we lose there? How about a higher cost to the fans and fan bases becoming less about the student body and more about the product that again, this elite upper level super conference tightly, tightly tied in with CBS and ESPN, Disney, Fox, what they want to see, what they want to produce, what they're going to charge for it. What's the premiums they're going to expect the fans to pay. How much of the college flavor do we lose because None of these moves will be in regards to the health of the actual sport of college football itself. It will be a move towards a product that could be quite unrecognizable. And I hope, for one, that I don't pull my head up in 5, 10, 15, 20 years and see the kind of reality that this nightmare that I'm talking about could make it. What was the cost of winning? I hope it doesn't cost us our sport. So, that is my soapbox moment. That is my doom and gloom pod for the direction that name, image, and likeness, unbridled, this Wild West scenario that we live in right now, where I think it could move our sport if we're not careful. I hope that there are smart people in the right positions, in the right rooms, that are sitting around and helping to avoid that sort of catastrophe in the future. But I think that's as ugly as it could get. I don't know, those are just my thoughts. And I had a lot of fun doing this show. I had fun diving into this and really giving this some thought and truly creating some content that, you know, isn't necessarily in line with, you know, the the major headlines right now and and what's going on over here, what's going on over there. So, I appreciate you taking the time tonight to listen to the show. If you listened all the way to this point, remember to let your friends know about the podcast. They can get us wherever they get their podcasts available on all major podcast platforms. Please tell your friends about the show. I hope I didn't depress anybody too bad. I do think that there is a light at the end of the tunnel. I'm just not exactly sure where it's going to be landed at, but I'm going to hope for the best. We prepare for the worst, right? That's, that's what we always say. But as of right now, we still exist in a world where college football is unique unto itself. It still has a lot of the pageantry and passion and those things that we love about it for the time being. And if it means enough to us, I think we should fight for a better future for our sport. And remember, any given time, any given place, any given team, you get it here at any given you.